Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 636, air date June 5th, 2020. Good evening, everyone. It's Dr. Shiva Ayadure. It's been a few days since I've done a broadcast, so it's good to be back doing this. I've been extremely busy uh, with our Senate campaign. We've got lots of volunteers joining us on the ground. So this is uh, a very, very uh, busy period. So I'm going to be getting back into my schedule of doing videos. Obviously, today, uh, the video that I want to really focus on and to talk about is a, a foundation of how we start really solving problems and looking at the world. And it's really about going beyond left and right. For far too long, the world has always been uh, uh, split into these two worlds. You know, you have to join this party or that party. You have to be left or right, pro or anti. And my view is that that's a very, very limited way of looking at the world. In fact, it's a way that we never actually solve problems. In fact, it helps those in power to continue problems, uh, to continue uh, never solving anything. And so today we're going to be discussing uh, the coronavirus. We're going to summarize that and racism. We're going to discuss two things. And I'm going to be discussing this with the number one Christian TV station in St. Lucia with Elijah Anatole, and, and that'll be coming up shortly. But the conversation really is to have this very deep discussion and how we use the set of chaos and crisis and confusion going on in the world to sort of get our heads screwed on right so we can actually solve problems. And that's what, as many of you know, that I'm dedicated to, to really helping um, us get to solutions. The lawyers and the lobbyists and the politicians never want to solve problems they make their living, they make their existence by perpetuating problems. And we'll also be talking about that with Elijah. And we're gonna have a, a conversation. Before I do that, um, just wanna thank everyone for joining. And we have people from Minnesota. Um, Jen will be putting up people from Mexico. Uh, we have people from, uh, as someone said, racism is not about skin color. We'll be talking about that. Pittsburgh, British Columbia. Obviously we have people from St. Lucia, uh, Arizona. Uh, Canada, thank you, uh, Sherry. Uh, Ohio, Texas, uh, Arizona, uh, Arkansas, Orlando, Maine, Virginia Beach, Toronto, Michigan, India, California, Los Angeles, Toronto. Well, Waltham, Massachusetts. Hi, Ivan. Good to have you on. One of our local neighbors, Boston. Hi, Butch. Good to, great to have you on. And we have a lot of great people joining us. But we'll wait uh, as people are joining on. We've got a little bit over a thousand people joining in. But we really want to drill deep and have a real, real deep conversation. Australia, hi Dave, I'm Mark Lee from New Jersey. Uh, but it's about time that we really start understanding how do we actually look at a problem beyond left or right. Uh, we have England, John Allison, and more people joining. Many of you know that I am running for the United States Senate, and, that, and our Senate campaign is is is. Uh, running beautifully most of most importantly we brought in volunteers from across the state but we also have volunteers across the country and in fact we have supporters across the world so what's very important to understand is as i walk you through our campaign site is that our campaign has really a systems approach which means a holistic approach to looking at the world and so when you go to our campaign you'll see it says truth freedom and health and these words truth freedom and health are not just simply words to talk about, but they're fundamentally a systems approach to solving problems. 
we begin with freedom. And what freedom means is that we have to have the ability to have open discourse without censorship, which is what YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and those big platforms are doing to people. They're subverting their digital rights. But with freedom, open discourse, open debate, we have the opportunity to practice science, real science, then we can get to truth. And from truth, we can identify real problems and get real solutions for the health of our own body or our infrastructure. And from health, uh, real health, we can be strong enough to fight for freedom. So truth, freedom, and health. And those of you know, anyone listening in the United States, if you haven't done so, you can support our campaign because our campaign is not just a campaign, a U.S. Senate campaign. It's a campaign for everyone's truth, freedom, and health. And as I've shared before, Massachusetts in many ways is the center of the deep state. It's a, really the center of power of the world. And I say that because before actions, before matter exists, you have thought. And thought comes from those people who think about ideas. And if you look at the one mile radius between MIT and Harvard, they have a hegemony and monopoly on ideas, which is not good because it suppresses innovation. But that center of Boston, uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, is where most of the elites go through, they get trained. And that's why I say Massachusetts is in many ways a center of the deep state. And that's why our winning here will be a big blow uh, to the deep state establishment. So those of you listening out there, anyone in the United States, you can literally go to our website and you can support our campaign. And one of the most important things when you support our campaign, my goal is not to simply take people's money and say thank you very much, like you know some uh, most of the campaigns do, but to actually offer you tools right away, not before I get elected. One of them is a book called System and Revolution, which will give you the foundations. Anyone who's read this book, you can read it in about two hours, but it's basically 50 years worth of knowledge congealed into a very powerful book that will teach you from a scientific standpoint, from an engineering standpoint, but all made accessible to anyone of any educational level. What is a system? And then you'll also learn what is revolution? What is real change? And then using the concepts in this book, by the way, anyone who donates 25 gets this, but if you can't afford that, donate whatever you can. Okay, five or 10 and we'll get it to you. But separate from that, and in addition to that, there's a very powerful tool I created called Your Body, Your System. And, and by the way, those of you um, who are outside of the United States, you cannot donate to our federal campaign. It's not allowed. But if you want to go to Your Body, Your System, you can go there and you can get it yourself. You can go to Get Started Now and you can get it directly here. If you go here, Get Started Now, those of you outside of the United States, same thing. You can get the, the book and you can sign up there. But those of you in the United States and people here, um, when you go to Your Body, Your System, I take the principles of um, system and revolution and teach you how to use those principles to understand what kind of system you are. Every system has the forces of transport, conversion, and storage. And if you use these questions, you can figure out what kind of system you are based on that red dot in that location. And then you answer a different set of questions and it'll help you figure out how your system is perturbed from its, its natural state. So this is basically where your system is at today because of all different stresses, not eating right, etc. And then you can figure out using the tool how to bring your system back to you with food, exercise, etc. This has been one of my life's work and I want to give, give this to you guys at a very, very reasonable um, you know, investment to you. So please take advantage of that. So again, if you go to Shiva for Senate, 
take advantage of our, our campaign is about truth, freedom, and health, but it's about a systems approach, and I want to teach you those. Those of you um, can also volunteer for our campaign. You simply go here, you volunteer, and then you can sign up. If any one of you in Massachusetts wants to get a lawn sign, you simply go to this lawn sign locations, and there are many, many volunteer distribution points where you can get a lawn sign, okay? But again, everyone should be clear that I'm running for U.S. Senate, not as a politician, not as a lawyer, but as a worker, as an inventor, as an entrepreneur, as a scientist. So please support the campaign. It's your campaign for truth, freedom, and health. And that's why I've been making all these videos because my fundamental goal is I want to create, I want to be a humble catalyst to create lots and lots of warriors for truth, freedom, and health by taking a systems approach. Let me bring um, Elijah on. So, uh, Elijah, how are you? Someone says the sound is great. Elijah, I think you're you're creating a lot of static on there. So maybe can you just mute for a second? Sure. Yeah. So that eliminated a lot of static. Is that good, everyone? Is that less? Um, let me just hear what people are saying. Is that is the sound better for people out there? From that, yes. Yeah, sound is. How's the sound now, Pamela? Uh, I just had Elijah. Yeah, there's a lot of static that you have on your end, Elijah. So I think what we'll do is when I talk, if you can mute, okay? Then if you can talk, you know, so we'll get so we won't get bad sound all the time. Jen, are you hearing better sound now? Let me just bring Jen up. Is that better? The sound? Yeah, it's good now. Okay. So Elijah, that's the technique we'll use when I talk. If you can mute okay and then when you talk I, I think we'll get some disturbance and then uh we'll mute back and forth is that cool okay you have to unmute sure yes all right yes yes all right yeah so anyway uh we have elijah here elijah uh you run one of the leading christian tv stations in saint lucia saint lucia is in the eastern caribbean and i thought it was very timely because we want to talk about racism today you know we want to talk about coronavirus I think St. Lucia was one of the points, right? When the slave trade was taking place, people from, from Africa were brought to the Caribbeans, right? There was all slave trading routes. So St. Lucia goes a long way back to Africa, et cetera. So, but today I think we wanna have a really, really good conversation uh, going beyond left and right. That's how we unite people. As long as we have left and right, uh, in my view, uh, none of us profit. You always have people fighting each other. You never ever solve racism. You know, in the previous video I did, I talked about there is a real racism. Uh, one part of the establishment wants to deny there's any racism. And the other part of the establishment, which, which I call the liberal elites, you know, try to say racism is only if you use the N-word. You know, if you don't use the N-word, you're not a racist. And if you believe in affirmative action, then racism is solved. And that's been going on for around 60 years and nothing gets solved. And in my view, there is a real racism. People go, can go listen to the video, we can talk about it, which is about taking people and putting them into little boxes and using that to essentially manipulate people economically. So if you're white and you're from the South, you must be a Klansman, right? That's one form of racism. If you're black and, and you look like this, you probably um, you know, are not capable of doing certain things. If you're an Indian, you must practice yoga and meditate and you must be nonviolent and shake your head like this and we'll take a beating, right? If you're 
uh, Chinese, you, every Chinese person must practice Kung Fu, right? And so on. So the establishment likes to put people into these boxes. And when you try to step out of your box, then you're beaten down. And to me, that's the broad, larger definition of racism. And um, so that's one thing I think we'll have a conversation about. Uh, we'll also talk about the coronavirus, where it's at today. And I think the interesting thing to talk about is there's been protesters out there by the tens of thousands. And no one is talking about coronavirus anymore, right? No one is talking about social distancing. And it shows a lot of the contradictions. So anyway, uh, great to have you here, uh, Elijah. So maybe we can start. Go ahead. Great, great. It's, uh, it's great to be here with you, uh, Dr. Shiva. Um, obviously, uh, you mentioned about St. Lucia. This is, uh, for those who are watching uh, and they're not aware where St. Lucia is located, it's in the Eastern Caribbean. Um, it's a very small island. One of the, as a matter of fact, uh, just, uh, just uh, for your knowledge and for your, the knowledge of your viewers, St. Lucia has been voted repeatedly as the leading honeymoon destination of the world. So, um, and also we have, you know, plenty of, uh, uh, you know, iconic pitons and uh, different things that, that, that you would want to come down to, to enjoy the island for. So, uh, but this is not what we'll be talking about tonight. Um, I have a couple of questions for you and hopefully uh, we could have a very interesting conversation. Um, I'm going to ask you a question. Are you a believer, uh, Dr. Shiver? Do you believe in uh, uh, the Almighty, the Creator, or uh, do you have a different uh, form of religion? Well, uh, you know, for me, it's not about belief. Okay, you start with faith, but to me, it's about direct experience. So I don't really talk about my experience. You know, I was brought up um, in a very, very deeply spiritual background. You know, my, with my grandparents, my great-grandparents, who were poor farm workers, but throughout every instant was a direct connection to God and the Creator. Uh, and I was taught how to pray, how to meditate, to do, to have a direct relationship. And to me, it's not just faith, but it, I've had my own personal experiences. So to me, it's beyond faith. To me, this life is obviously very special and very important. Every instant counts. But there's something beyond this. And I, you know, for me, it's, it's been a direct experience that leads me to that, that I, it's very, very personal to me. And it's a personal relationship with the creator. Great, great. Glad to hear this. Um, well, we're, we're actually going to get into a couple of uh, questions here. Obviously, uh, COVID-19 uh, came around uh, late last year and started to spread around the world and affecting several countries, including the US, United States of America, which is still uh, affecting. But lately, uh, like rightly said, uh, that seemed to be at the back of a lot of minds uh, because of all the protests that are going on right now that you know people aren't following social distancing and they're not following all of those things. But let's, let's talk about the origin first. Uh, you there? Yeah, yeah keep continuing. Okay, so let's, let's talk about the origin uh, for a second. Um, there's a lot of uh, debate in terms of where the virus came from, how it, 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 it jumped from animal to, to man, and, uh, you know, the speculation about it coming from a lab and it being manipulated. I, I just saw an article uh, just last night or yesterday 
that an, the former MI6 uh, director uh, indicated through an interview uh, with a UK newspaper indicated that uh, a new study is suggesting that it might have been released as an accident in a Chinese lab. Um, what, what is your view on this whole virus and how it uh, came about and started affecting individuals? Well, look, there's a, uh, I have an interesting view on this. If you look at this virus, right, first of all, uh, you have 380 trillion viruses in your body. Okay, let's just, just, let's just go to stuff we know, because when we start getting into speculation, um, we're, you're sitting in St. Lucia, I'm sitting here in Cambridge, Massachusetts, right? Uh, we're never going to figure out all the details. We'll get data, right? We'll get pieces of data, but we'll never fully know uh, exactly what's going on, right? But I can tell you what we do know is that you have 380 trillion viruses in your body, somewhere in that range. I have about 380 trillion viruses. OK, viruses constantly are mutating, constantly trying to figure out how they can replicate themselves. And um, viruses can be passed from one individual to another. Viruses can be passed what they call zoonotic viruses from an animal to a human being. That was the original um, uh, theory that was put out there, right? That there was a wet market, that this went from a bat to a human being. Right. Uh, you know, and there's various types of viruses, right, from camels, right, the mirrors virus from the um, I think the dog raccoon. Right. Which was the SARS virus, et cetera. But that's called a zoonotic virus. And then as that as people were not able to find the original person when they went to the wet market, they weren't able to zero in on the first individual. So people started saying, wait a minute, if you can't find that human number one, then people started saying, wait a minute, there, there's no bats even there. Then the, uh, the, the uh, uh, you know, reports were coming out that there were bats in a nearby research institution, right? And you probably read some of these. So, uh, so the notion is, okay, this virus was released. Some people have said the virus was brought in from the United States, you know, from, uh, from Fort Detrick. Other people have said the virus was uh, brought in by China. So there's all these theories, right? And maybe the one that it was released by Chinese lab is in fact true. All right. So let's, let's assume, but what we do know about this virus is it's a, it's called a, uh, uh, it affects the respiratory system, uh, acute respiratory. It causes acute respiratory system failures. And it's in the class of a broad class of viruses called coronavirus, which is basically a flu. Now, the acute version of it, they called it SARS, okay, which is one of the earlier ones, which had a very low infectivity rate, but nearly a 15% fatality rate. Then there was a MERS virus, which had close to a 40% fatality rate, again, a low infectivity rate. This virus, what was interesting was this had a relatively low, when it first was reported, around 2% um, uh, you know, uh, a death rate. But it had a very high infectivity rate. The R not, the R, you know, if one person gets it, how much it spreads. Right now in the United States, they said it was like 3.5, approaching four. Now it's at 0.8. Okay. So the bottom line is there's been a lot that's been said about this virus. But what I can tell you is that if you assume we do know that it may have a very high infectivity rate, which means a lot of people can get it and it spreads. 
What is also mysterious about this virus, if you look in China, it was in Wuhan. It didn't really spread all over China, okay? And some people have argued the way this virus spread, it almost hit like Wuhan, you know, New York, London. It, it, it's almost like a product release, some people have said. The way it was released was if you were releasing a Nike product, where are the major places you'd hit it, okay, and release it. So there's a lot of interesting speculation, but what I can tell you is that uh, it, it appeared at the onset to have a high infectivity rate. And what I mean, it was dis it dispersed broadly, but we also know knew that the, that the media also dispersed the news broadly and created massive amounts of fear. So I was the first guy when this came out who put out a tweet because of my training, you know, I have a PhD in biological engineering. I study the immune system. And I said that this will go down in history as one of the biggest fear mongering hoaxes. Not the virus, but how would the fear mongering? And my view was that it was intended to destroy economies. And I refined that real economies. It was des des uh, designed to suppress dissent. And it was also designed to push top down medicine. And I haven't changed from that. But I was the first guy to say that in a very confident way because of my understanding of science and particularly systems biology, the immune system. So I could see this very clearly. And then I was the one who called out Fauci. Most everyone thought this guy's the greatest medical doctor in the world, a great esteemed researcher. But again, going back to systems thinking, going back to what I just shared that why people need to understand systems as one of the guys who studied the immune system for a very long time, I called out Fauci because the model of the immune system that he had, Elijah, is almost 150 years old, which is in fact the basis of creating modern vaccines. And I had just been invited to give the prestige lecture at the National Science Foundation, which is no small feat, you know, which is to give the distinguished lecture uh, in November. And I shared with everyone a new model of the immune system, which was not a very simplified model, but a much more complex model. And my conclusion was that one size does not fit all. You can't tell everyone to get all the same vaccines, everyone to take this medicine. And in a room full of 200 people, no one disagreed with that. However, Fauci has been getting away with, frankly, lying to people because um, for two reasons. One, a lot of people do not understand science. Two, a lot of the people who are around him and won't say a word against him are the academics who rely on him because he can make major decisions in the United States, which universities get funding, okay? So there's money and there's ignorance, and that's a very dangerous mixture. So fundamentally, what you've had right now, since that time I put out that tweet, everything I've said has come to be true. And I say this with total humility, but uh, is that we've seen this, I mean, you have, with the recent protests, I mean, there are tens of hundreds of thousands of people out there protesting and the same governors who said, oh, we should social distance, we should shut, shut down, are the same people who are supporting the protesters, which is fine if they want to, but no one is saying anything about the coronavirus, right? That sort of suddenly disappeared. All the fear is gone away when the protesting um, has become the central thing on, on, on TV. And no one is talking about the fact these people, none of them are practicing social distancing. They're all wearing these stupid masks, and we can talk about that, uh, which I've, I've done another video on showing that the cloth masks increase. And this is not my research. It's looking at the research that's out there. They increase the chance of influenza-like symptoms by 13 times. 
over the medical masks. And neither of them in another research have any effect. It's like a mosquito going through a chain link fence, right? It can easily get through. The virus can get through. And then if you really want to protect yourself, there's the N95 mask, which you can't wear it more than one or two hours. You're going to get headaches. People are prone to them. So the bottom line is this entire thing, if, you, if people take a systems approach, a scientific systems approach, we'll see that the whole thing was fear-mongering. It was designed to manipulate people. And in the midst of this, except for myself as a scientist, no one talked about boosting the immune system. After I did it, then Bill Maher did a show on it. And he literally stole my material, okay? Because he wanted to get views on his website. That's how these guys work, right? Um, but the bottom line is we need to focus on the singular issues. How do you boost your immune system? Because in Massachusetts, and by the way, this is true elsewhere, the average person who died was 82 years old. Average person in Massachusetts. The life expectancy in Massachusetts is 80 years old. Okay? So when you add up all the data, and by the way, hospitals make uh, $12,000 for a COVID diagnosis. They make another, I think, $35,000 for someone who dies of COVID. So you, so a hospital can make $50,000 of someone being diagnosed and, di and dying of COVID-19. So they're putting COVID-19 on everyone. But this is a level of corruption that takes place when you have lawyers and politicians run government. That's why, you know, our Senate campaign is quite unique because I'm running against three lawyers who have no solutions to anything except just to watch which way the wind blows and, and go in that direction. No leadership. You need to unmute yourself, Elijah. Great, great. Um, I have a one follow-up question because you said uh, you said a lot, um, uncovered a lot of bases so far, but just one uh, follow-up question here. I'm not sure if you saw this uh, sort of mini documentary called uh, Plandemic. I just want to get feedback on that and uh, the claims being made by uh, Dr. Judy Mikovic, uh, just to briefly talk about your thoughts on that. Well, look, you got to let's step back before I talk about that. Uh, you know, we ran the Fire Fauci campaign. You know, we collected over 100,000 signatures. One of the things we pointed out early on was in this vaccine movement, right, or anti-vaccine movement, um, there have been people who have been monopolizing and have done nothing. One of them is this guy, Bobby Kennedy, okay? The 1962 Vaccination Act was put forward by his uncle. I've asked that the entire act be repealed. Just like, you, you mean, you know this, right? Um, when I first came to this country, people would be showing pictures of African babies, bloated African babies, right? And, and some celebrity would go there and say, please give us money to help these people in Africa. But that same person wouldn't care about people dying of hunger right here in the United States, okay? And by the way, they've never really solved that. But some nonprofit gets created, they take money, and God knows where the money goes. Breast Cancer Foundation. Okay, breast cancer, we got it. It's become a billion dollar foundation. In this so called anti vaccine movement, you know, when you look at it, 1962, John Kennedy's the one who passed the Vaccination Act. 24 years later, his brother, Ted Kennedy, after all the vaccine injuries, you know, he created the, uh, he was the one who sponsored the bill to create the National Vaccine Injury Program, which actually created the vaccine courts, which protected big pharma. And then 
another Kennedy, this guy, Bobby Kennedy has been running around, you know, running an organization. I, I, I was, you know, and he basically hasn't done anything. He basically is pro-vaccine. If you read his video, which I exposed, if you saw that video at rfkexposed.com, and he says, I want to make sure we have full vaccination. Now, no one exposed him. So I not only exposed Fauci, I exposed the Clintons and the Kennedys. In response to that, this is how the Kennedys work. They went and found some other guy, you know, and suddenly Judy Mikovits comes on, okay? He gives a forward, okay? From my view, her research is questionable. She suddenly overnight, they put out this pandemic. And it was basically from the fact that our movement, my exposing this was taking, occurring bottoms up, Elijah, and the Kennedys want to monopolize everything. So they suddenly put her and someone else. And that's what happened to take away the, the attention that my videos were getting. And we do it here. We don't have any Hollywood producers. Okay. So that's what I can tell you. And what I can tell you is that these people suddenly started plagiarizing my material, replicating it. And when I exposed them, they issued the most egregious lies, calling me all sorts of a vaccine manufacturer, all this kind of stuff. So in my view, there is the establishment, which wants to put vaccines into everyone. And then there's a not so obvious establishment like the Kennedys, who always talk about safety. But what they want to do is create another entity in the government. So frankly, I don't really want to give this movie any attention because in my view, it's a wing of Robert Kennedy's bullshit, okay? To frankly bring power back to him, which we were exposing because in New Jersey, which is a state here, I was the first one who said, we need to create a bottoms up movement. And that's why we won. He's been involved in this movement 15 years. He endorsed Hillary Clinton three times, who's in, in, in bed with Gates like this. He attacks Bill Gates, but not Hillary Clinton. She's a Democrat. And, you know, he endorsed her three times. She believes in mandated vaccines. So he's a hypocrite. And so whatever, you know, he put the forward on that uh, book. And remember, they did the same thing with Martin Luther King. Okay. Martin Luther, there was huge movement coming up, bottoms up, people like Malcolm X. And the Kennedys came in and they promoted Martin Luther King as the only solution. That's what they do. They do not want bottoms up people like me or you. They want to impose top down solutions, including who they decide to anoint. So I'm not, I frankly do not want to give any, um, yeah, you know, <laughs> that, that's my position on this because the origin of this is Robert Kennedy. Great, great. Uh, got you. Um, I was actually wondering why he had uh, uh, written that forward on her book. So uh, that makes a lot of sense. He's been sitting on this movement and the Kennedys believe they're the only ones who should be running any type of movement. Okay. Bottom line, he endorsed Hillary Clinton three times, not once, not twice, three times. And I don't mean just voting for her, endorsed her. And she's in bed with Gates like this. So whatever he says is bullshit. It's what you did. Actions. And these people in power, left and right, think that you can bullshit people, you can talk to people, you can you know, say this, and you can suppress your actual actions. And that's the way they operate. So I think part of why I wanted to entitle this thing is beyond left and right. People really need, need to look at people's actions. 
What do you do for a living? Robert Kennedy's a lawyer, okay? His nephew who I'm running against here is a lawyer. He already has $51 million in the bank, didn't earn it. So let's, we as people, the working people, everyone who's listening, need to stop being naive. We need to start, stop believing these celebrities, the mainstream media, and putting power in them. Bottoms up. And when we get that, change is going to occur so fast. Okay, so you made mention about uh, they want to put vaccines uh, in, into every, everybody and whatnot. Normally, we know that vaccines take a, a good couple of years uh, to develop and to be safe and ready for, for uh, the public. And they're actually putting a rush on this one. And I suspect that they may end up keeping a couple of steps. What are your thoughts on uh, the vaccines that they're actually uh, coming up with for COVID-19? Do you suspect that there is some sort of uh, COVID goal uh, involved? Or is it just the pharmaceuticals uh, just wanting to make money from this opportunity? Okay, so, so it's a lot of stuff you're asking. So, so the answer to this following, first of all, um, in September of last year, we ran the first international conference on vaccine safety. Okay. Again, Robert Kennedy has been in this movement for a long time. He didn't do anything. I looked at them and I said, there's no risk assessment. And what you find is a pharmaceutical drug takes around 13 years to go through all the regulatory processes. Okay. You have to do test tube, animal, humans. It's a very stringent process. Vaccines do not follow that process. Got it? That's number one. So th from the beginning, vaccines have not had to follow that regulatory process, not just now, but from their whole bottom line. So they're taking, an, a, frankly, an unregulated process and, in fact, speeding it up even more. That's what's going on. Now, why? The reason this is occurring is follow the money, follow the money. We all got to keep this simple, follow the money. The pharmaceutical industry is tanking, it's falling, it's, it's, it's going down and down and down. Why? Because it takes them 13 years to create a single drug, lots of regulations. And if the drug comes out, it has side effects. And if it hurts you, you can sue the pharmaceutical company. Vaccines, they can develop it much shorter, no regulations. And you know what? You can't sue them. Thank you to the Kennedys. Thank you to Ted Kennedy, who sponsored that bill who allowed vaccine companies cannot be sued. There's a separate vaccine court, okay? So no regulations or less regulations to be accurate, more profit, and you can't sue them. What a beautiful business business opportunity, right? Imagine you being a product maker of, I don't know, a car, Toyota. No regulations, you can put it out there. If it hurts anyone, you can't sue Toyota. You have to go sue somebody else. So that's what's happened here. Again, brought to you by Ted Kennedy, okay? Those in the establishment, what they wanna do is they work in two ways. So when it comes to vaccines, you have people like Kennedy saying, well, we need safe vaccines. What does he mean? They always, the Democrats always talk about safety. We wanna protect you, okay? We wanna protect your child. So they created the, the, you know, the Department of Services that can take away your child, okay? We want to protect you from the bank. So they created the Dodd-Frank bill, which actually uh, destroyed the small banks. 
So what they do is they always come at you saying, we want to help you. So they create more regulations. And what those regulations always do, Elijah, is they make sure no other competitors can come in. And so they create monopolies for the other wing of the establishment. Okay. So one wing talks about safety to propose regulations. The other wing uses that to create monopolies. Follow the money. That's what's going on here. So what they want to do in this case is they create the fear. They Because what was happening in the last 20, 30 years is people want their own freedom. They want to decide what they put into their body. People are starting to see, wait a minute, vitamin D helps my body. Vitamin C, eating better, exercise, right? People are saying, why do I need to go to a hospital? Let me take care of my own health. So there's been this movement growing for health and wellness. Well, if that movement grows and people start living longer on their own, you know, by eating food, that's going to mean a big loss for pharmaceuticals, big loss for vaccines. So they create fear and they cr create fear through ignorance. So that's what we've been saying for the last 90 days, 120 days, fear, 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 based on a very fake science and using that fear then they're gonna come below and say, everyone needs vaccines, okay? And people like Kennedy is gonna say, well, we need safe vaccines. You see, that'll be even more sophisticated way of screwing people. But the bottom line is we need to talk about boosting the immune system. And that's what I've been trying to do. And fortunately, you know, hundreds of millions of people have seen those videos now. It's about boosting the immune system. And by the way, people of color, African-Americans, Indians, Hispanics, those and Sicilians from Italy, whoever you are, if you have darker skin, you need more vitamin D. You need more sunlight and you lower your immune system. 75 to 95 percent of Americans do not have enough vitamin D. I was the first guy to push that out hard. Vitamin D, vitamin D, vitamin D. OK, my videos were getting taken down. Then, you know, you have people like Tucker Carlson or talking about it. OK. And then, you know, you see what I'm saying? So, but the bottom line is we've got to boost the immune system. That's what it's about. And so we got to build community and we got to boost immunity. When you have friends, you go to fellowship, you go to church, those things boost your immune system. You reduce your stress, you create less anti-inflammatory compounds, you create more antiviral. You isolate people, you destroy people's immunity just from lack of friendship. The sun boosts so immunity. Yep. So, so based on what you're just saying, uh, um, it takes us to the next next subject here, which is uh, boosting the immunity. Uh, so, in other words, what you're saying, they're trying to make people more sick so that they could eventually get vaccine. Uh, is that what you're saying? Because obviously, well, um, it, keeping people isolated. Well, it's it's uh, it's it's you know, uh, I can get into a conspiracy theory, which I'm not. Right. Uh, by the way, the frankly, the very racist Wikipedia, no one should donate to them. It calls me a conspiracy theorist and someone who did not invent email. I, I saw that. I and saw that. My page, so you can't change it. They're the racists and no one should be donating to that racist organization. Because the reason I call them racist is, you know, if you are from Newark, New Jersey, and you're an Indian, you should just be a good programmer and stay in your little thing. You shouldn't be inventing email or anything like that before MIT. Okay. That's a form of racism. And Wikipedia is completely racist. Okay. Based on my definition of racism hasn't just to do with color, but getting back to this fundamental issue, that's why it's not a conspiracy. My issue here is something very, very simple. There is 
less, right. less money to be made if people eat food. If Let's say 7.2 billion people on the planet say, wow, food is medicine. They get that idea. Exercise is medicine, right? Getting the right nutrients is medicine. Let's say people actually understood that. If they understood that, people are going to be healthier. They're going to, it's going to, basically people are going to vote differently. They're going to say, wait a minute, you're a politician. Are you, are you with Monsanto? Are you going to pollute my environment? No, I'm not voting for you. It would change the entire dynamics if everyone understood food is medicine. So it is a power play because ultimately one of the few things we can control is what we put into our body. So if every human on this planet said food is medicine, you have literally taken away power from the elites. So therefore you must create a fear and you must teach people that getting something injected into you is better. I'll give you an example. When I grew up in India, in my small village in India, people, my grandmother was a village healer. People would go to her and she would figure out what was right for them. Well, that same village, if you go now, people want Western medicine. They think it's a status symbol. So if someone gets sick and they go to the doctor and he does not give them a needle, listen very carefully. They'll say, that doctor was a horrible doctor. He didn't give me an injection. So they will go, so they will go to, and so what some of the doctors are doing in these villages is giving people just sugar water injections or saline because then the people don't yell at them. This is what's going on. It's all a total psychological operation. If you convince people that Bill Gates coming to you, you know, on this air helicopter coming in from, from the West, right? And he gives you an injection. Now you're healed. That's what's going on. So in, in the last 50 years, in that same village I grew up in where people, you know, loved my grandmother, loved traditional system of medicine, it's flipped. People want an injection because you have propagandized people. So. Okay, so let, let, let's just talk about uh, traditional medicine. Uh, do you still think that it is the better option compared to all of the... Uh, vaccines and uh, all the pharmaceutical drugs that are being given to, to individuals now. Obviously, you mentioned that your mom was into it. So do my you think that it is yeah. no, my grandmother? grandmother look, yes. Look, so yes. First of all, um, you're talking to someone who's a pretty serious scientist. I publish papers. I do science all day, right? I went to the number one science and technology school in the world. It takes a lot of effort to get four degrees from MIT. Okay. I'm not some person who, you know, just does incense and praise and, you know, does crystals, right? So here's my position on this. The body is a system, number one. What is a system? A system is an interconnection of parts. And I've spent my whole life trying to understand the body as a system. And I've taken an Eastern approach and a Western approach. So on the Western side, um, you know, I've created a a uh, whole technology of one of the most innovative technologies for my PhD work at MIT, which can literally mathematically model your body on your cells on the computer model disease through the molecular pathways. So that's like hardcore rocket science. So using that technology, we're identifying different combinations of nutrients, how they affect your body. We've discovered many new medicines, all from natural ingredients, which we are putting together, right? We help other companies who are natural product companies figure out what works. 
uh, and what doesn't, okay? That's hardcore Western medicine research. Then on the other side, I've also understood the systems of Eastern medicine, and I've been able to figure out why they work. So I have an understanding of East and West. So it's not Western medicine, Eastern medicine, it's treating the body as a system. So it's beyond left and right, beyond East and West, okay? So when you take that approach, what you find is truth. And the truth is that the body is a system. And you also find out that what you need to heal you for the same disease is different than what I need. One size does not fit all, and it's called personalized and precision medicine, okay? And I'm also concerned- okay, let's, let's, Yeah. Sorry, let's, let's, uh, let's just talk about this uh, particular aspect of what you're saying. Um, one size doesn't fit all, uh, particularly with the vaccine and uh, the medication and that sort of thing, because obviously um, you have, uh, well, anyway, just answer this part first, and then we'll move to the second. On uh, what? On the one size doesn't fit all? Yeah. Yes. So, so in, 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 in reference to vaccines, obviously you have one, you have a vaccine being developed so that uh, everyone will be, be able to get, as a matter of fact, uh, the talk is that it's going to be mandatory. If you don't get it, then you're not going to be able to travel. So um, the one size fits all, does this vaccine, because you know, you've had issues with, with the vaccine, the anti-vaxxers are saying that, you know, it's affecting the kids, uh, kids are getting autism, uh, some kids are, are, are becoming, um, you know, paralyzed and, and that sort of thing and getting sick, um, while other people are actually reporting that it's actually working. So uh, obviously, you know, even with the flu vaccine, you, you get a vaccine every year and it doesn't cure you. So uh, one size fits all. Does, do you think that this vaccine that we're coming up with is really going to work and uh, protect us from uh, the coronavirus? Right. So let's go back to science. Okay. Let's go back to basic principles. First of all, your body has 380 trillion viruses, 60 trillion bacteria in it right now. Okay. 380 trillion viruses, Elijah. Okay. Viruses are constantly coming around you. They're being mutated every instant. You and I, and if you go back thousands of hundreds of billions, whatever, how many ever far you want to go back, we all came out of bacteria and vaccines. The immune system in our body is the operating system of our body, just like iOS is the operating system of your iPhone or Android is the operating system of your other phone, okay? So your immune system is, is the operating system. It, is, it has evolved over billions of years, if you believe in evolution or through natural design, it's been given to you as a very powerful system. To think that one vaccine can come and destroy your immune system would be ludicrous, okay? So the issue is what is going on? First of all, a virus is not, this is foundational, a virus, when it comes to you, it's not the virus eats away your body and you start bleeding or you start uh, going on a ventilator. It's your own immune system. When it's weak and dysfunctional, it attacks itself. Okay, this is the most important principle to understand. That it is a weakened and dysfunctional immune system that attacks itself. Now where it attacks itself is a function where the virus deposits its particles. Some of them go into the respiratory system. Some of them end up in the heart, right? So Ebola, right? So you bleed from the inside. But it's not the virus, it's your own body attacking itself, okay? Now, that means if your immune system is strong, 
If your immune system is not weak, it's not gonna do anything. Virus comes, the different subsystems in your immune system know how to handle it. Your microbiome, your innate, your adaptive, your interferon, and you move on, you're fine, okay? And we're supposed to be exposed to lots of different viruses so we get strong, all right? So it's a weakened and dysfunctional immune system. Now, how did we handle this before vaccines? Well, vaccines come, are trying to imitate a natural process. If you got chickenpox, I came over to you, I got chickenpox. You breathed on me, my body reacted, and, and if my immune system was strong, my body would create all the different, it would go through its changes, not just antibodies. The microbiome would change, the interferon system, and you protected yourself. Some people got a little rash, some people got, right? But if your immune system was weak and you came to me, it may hurt you, okay? So take a room full of a thousand people. Imagine only one person in that um, entire room has a weakened immune system. There were smokers, they were dying, whatever, right? And let's say all the other 999 people were strong, okay? So now imagine this, you're saying to protect that one individual who's immunocompromised, I need to vaccinate all the other 999. And by the way, you can't give a vaccine to that one guy, because if you did it, right? Because immunocompromised people can't get vaccines, all right? So what does a vaccine do? Well, the vaccine is trying to imitate this process of me uh, sneezing on you. But when I sneeze on you, you get it in your eyes, your throat, the innate immune system, and then it goes to a bunch of series. Here you're injecting the thing, first of all, right into your bloodstream, okay? You are subverting natural processes. And that vaccine is not having all the stuff that I sneezed on you, it has a, a dead version of it, and that wasn't working, so they added a whole bunch of other things, okay? So it's trying to mimic a natural process. Well, it wasn't, some, some people, if your immune system's strong and you get that injected to you, some people may not have a reaction. Other people may, and they may get neuroinflammation, which you called autism. I call it neuroinflammation of varying degrees. Now, the reality is, in the United States, they're saying everyone should get 30 different vaccines. By the time a kid is, I think, two to five years old, they should get 30 different vaccines. 30 different vaccines, which none of them have been tested, interactions, and 70 doses. This is according to CDC guidelines, okay? So my position on this is you have to look beyond the left, beyond the right, beyond vax, anti-vax. The bottom line is that every immune system is different. Everyone is different. Um, and as a, as a function of that, to say that everyone should get all of these vaccines that makes no sense because everyone's body chemistry is different. So right there, just from a scientific standpoint, to say one size fits all can hurt the body. The other thing is with these new coronavirus vaccines, they're not your typical vaccines. These vaccines, some of them are created to go into your body. And uh, there's a video I did, look at the virus replication process, okay? The virus replication process involves about four steps. They try to stop the virus replication process in one of those steps. Some of the coronaviruses are called RNA vaccines. And what they're trying to do is stop the RNA replication like, or create a drug like remdesivir. The problem is that that vaccine, if it mutates, that vaccine 
I mean, if the virus mutates, that vaccine is useless, okay? Which means I'm gonna give you another one and another one and another one, so on. So instead of trying to, you know, you can touch your nose like this or you can put my head like this and touch my nose, right? That's what vaccines are. When I mean touching your nose like this means let's boost the immune system. So when I wrote the letter to President Trump, oh, yeah. So, so quickly, um, we, we don't have much time left, but quickly, um, if, if vaccines are one size fits all, and this is not the, the best option for individuals because everybody's body, everybody's body uh, chemistry is different, uh, what would you suggest to individuals who are watching the program right now and persons who may see it later on, what would you suggest to them as the better option uh, it, uh, to replace vaccine, to boost their immune system, to get their, their, their systems uh, up and running at the optimal level so that they could fight off uh, those uh, viruses uh, when it does affect them? Look, let me ask you a question, answer that question. In St. Lucia, right, long before vaccines, people from Africa settled there, right? And yes. They, and they thrived, right? It's not like everyone died. People survived. They thrived. They grew, right? Uh, yes, yes. I don't know. Like, do you know what the incidence of coronavirus was on St. Lucia? Uh, actually, we we just got the 19th case uh, yesterday or today. I think it was today. Yeah. Um, but basically, we've been coronavirus free um, for the last couple of weeks. Have you had a lot of sun there? Over the last couple of weeks, it's been, I mean, we've, we've just, we've we're just, we just entered into the hurricane season. Uh, June 1st. Prior to that, we've, we've had a very terrible uh, drought season. It was extremely hot. So yeah, we, we had a lot of sun. Right. Well, the reason I ask that is um, people need to recognize that there are, I, I talked about it, five things people can do to, five, six things can to, to boost your immune system. Okay. Number one is relationships with other people, friendships, fellowship, trusted relationships. Why? There's a two. Re I mean, there was a 1988 major land landmark research study done, and then recently, about 10 years ago, clearly showing when you isolate people, people get depressed. You don't let people go to church. You don't let people uh, have their friends. Um, we've had friends who didn't have depression for 40 years. Suddenly, with all of this, the depression came back. Okay, depression causes the lowering of your body at the genetic level produces less antimicrobials and your body produces more in inflammatory compounds. So so number one, friendships, getting together, community, you know, have community, boost your immunity, number one. Number two, sun, okay? In the middle of Africa, they haven't had any of these coronavirus crates. People are out in the sun, they're getting all that vitamin D. I can't overemphasize the power of vitamin D, not only for against infections, it's a hormone, it affects so many different processes. In America in the winter time, people are really, really low on vitamin D, vitamin D3. Now, if you're people of darker skin color, you need more of it. Number three, vitamin C from the citrus fruits, et cetera. It really supports modulating the immune system. So those people are put on these ventilators, they should have put them on IV vitamin C first. The next thing is vitamin A. You know, all the purple vegetables, the, the, the green leafy vegetables. That really, if your thyroid's working right, your body produces vitamin A. Then 
iodine, you know, from the salt, you know, from the ocean, seaweed, the, the seafoods, support your thyroid. And then obviously zinc, you know, you get them from oysters, the shellfish, the, the pumpkin seeds. These are one of the most important sets of six things I recommend to people to boost the immune system. Now, obviously, if someone's sick, you should self-quarantine yourself. You know, if you're sick, you keep yourself away, you're immune, and you get better, you eat the right foods, you nutrify, and then you expose yourself. That's common sense. That's people have known that for tens of thousands of years. So that's the solution. It's to boost the immune system, boost the immune system, to shut down economies. To, it basically does two things. It allows the big guys to do well, Starbucks, Amazon, these guys all stayed open. Small guys suffered. That's what it did. Okay, great. So we're, we're going to wrap up uh, two, maybe about two more questions here. Um, you keep mentioning uh, this word, deep state. Um, for those persons who may not necessarily know, particularly those persons from outside of uh, the United States, who do you refer to when you coin the term deep state? And what exactly do they do and how deep is this state? Yeah, so that term, I mean, other people refer to, let me give you my definition of it. In 1961, when President Eisenhower of the United States was leaving office, he gave his farewell address. And he talked about the fact that what was happening in the United States or globally was that the, for, that the forces of the military and the forces of, of academia and the forces of big corporations, the military industrial academic complex was becoming strong. And he coined it, right? A general in the US, former general, former president of the United States, when he was getting ready to leave office. And he said in his very famous speech, he goes, this collusion between big military, big corporations, and big academia is one of the biggest threats to democracy because people would go start wars, for example, to fund academic institutions, or, and essentially they would use fear and military operations to fund the military industrial academic complex. That was in 1961 and around 1972, he, so Eisenhower was a Republican. There was another very interesting Senator called Senator William Fulbright, a Democrat. He coined the term military industrial academic complex in a speech he gave. And he again talked about the collusion between big corporations, big military and big academia, places like MIT and Harvard. So to me, that is my definition of the deep state the intellectuals from major academic institutions, the big military and big, um, uh, a big military. Now military includes bioweapons, right? Includes a whole range of things. So what you see in this is if you notice not one academic called out Fauci, I'm talking about a serious academic who wasn't, you know, wrote papers that were retracted, things like that or some guy who claims he's a doctor and whatever, right? I'm talking about a serious academic from a major institution like myself. I was the only one to call him out. And fundamentally that was because I can see that the deep state is a real thing. And the deep state that I'm talking about is a military industrial academic complex because academics today are pay to play science, Elijah. You pay them enough, they'll say, yeah, CO2 is a pollutant. You pay them enough, they say, yeah, guns cause violence. You pay them enough, they say, yeah, you need vaccines. You need all these vaccines. When the science may not be there. 
So that's what I refer to as a deep state, the military, industrial, academic complex. Okay so, it, okay, so so it sounds like uh, the deep state is, um, they have a lot of power, they have a lot of reach, they have a lot of wealth, and they have a lot of control. And you're now basically, uh, you've put yourself in, into the ring uh, as a, a Senate candidate. Um, aren't you scared of what they might end up doing? Uh, also, that they may also end up, uh, if I may say, snubbing you the election? It, it say that again? Um, okay, so based on what you said, Deep State sounds like, you know, it's a bunch of individuals who have a lot of power, a lot of wealth, uh, a lot of control. Uh, they could reach... Uh, they have far-reaching mechanisms to be able to control certain things uh, to get, you know, their way and that sort of thing. Um, and you're this individual that's actually going up against them. And I'm not hearing any other senator uh, or any other candidate, uh, whether governor, senator, or anybody else, basically talking about them. Um, aren't you scared of what they might end up doing to you pers personally, your your reputation, your character? Uh, possibly losing the election? Well, you can see what the racist Wikipedia has already done, right? Because they're part of that, okay? Um, the issue here is you're, you, you, you're a Christian, right? Correct. I mean, you were in a Christian TV station. Well, what was the message of Christ? If you looked at Christ's life, he took on the deep state of his time, okay? Which was the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Romans, okay? But the important ones was the Pharisees, supposedly the learned ones. And there's a very interesting picture in the Bible and a very important one, which many Christians do not want to talk about, which I really bothers me, is when Christ takes a whip and he beats the moneylenders out of the temple, okay? Most Christians say, oh, Christ, that's just some, some, something Christ got angry. No, to me, that's one of the most important events in the Bible as important as a resurrection, in my experience, okay? And a lot of Christians don't wanna talk about this. And um, because in the United States, many of the Christian preachers, particularly the black Christian preachers are bought out by the deep state, okay? They're sellouts. They keep a lot of the black people in bondage because they do not wanna really probe into the essential message of Jesus Christ at a very fundamental political level and a spiritual level. So to me, the issue is, what is life, Elijah? You're asking me a question under the assumption that you want to be a slave, that it's okay to be a slave. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, what, is life no, no. what does life mean if you're living a slave? That's not much of a life, right? So the issue is, what does life mean? And this is where the spiritual teachings have to be, not just spiritual teachings, people go to church on Sundays and leave. It has to be real. It has to be made flesh. And that making it flesh means how do you articulate your thoughts and how do you live your life? You can't be talking about Christ on one thing and then going and supporting the establishment, which wants to make slaves of people. That's not being a good Christian in my view. Okay. I, you know, that's my interpretation my, from my direct experience of my relationship with Christ or God. Unfortunately, what's happened in the United States, and I don't know if in St. Lucia and other places, is that the Christian establishment also has 
manipulated the words of Christ and doesn't want to talk about the real stuff. But if you truly are a Christian, in my view, you will come to the conclusion that it is extremely important to articulate, put your quote unquote life on the line and articulate the truth. And if you're not doing that, it, to me, it's hard to take me, it's hard for me to take Correct. that they are really uh, speaking about the same God or the Christian, the Jesus Christ that I uh, have my experience with, okay? So you find this in the black community, in, the, in, in Boston and Massachusetts, most of the black people are kept in bondage by their Uncle Tom Christian preachers, okay? Who tell them to vote Democrat, tell them to vote this way. I'm not supporting Republican Party or Democratic Party, but they keep them in bondage. They are part of the deep state. In fact, after the, in the 1960s, after the 1960s civil rights movement, black people never really got the infrastructure they needed, or for that matter, poor whites. What happened was we created a, a strata of very wealthy blacks who never solved that fundamental problem, all preaching to be Christians, you know? So in my view, the answer to me is, uh, what else is the option but to speak the truth boldly and as many people as possible to expose this power structure and to destroy it? Uh, very, very well said. Uh, I must say that I'm very impressed with this, uh, this answer that you, that you gave. And I, I share the same uh, opinion on, on, on that matter with you. Um, you know, I, I believe that Christians are sort of scared of the skin lately and uh, they picture Christ as this um, docile individual who never got angry who, who you know who's always you know calm and that sort of thing and that that is not the image uh, of Christ at all he was balanced uh, when he had to stand up he would stand up and when he had to be uh, quiet he would be quiet and, and that takes me to the next question uh, what's happening right now with the protest uh, going on I, I saw that you post you, you posted something to your Facebook page uh, sometime yesterday about the whole history of how they've bought into the same state, have bought into the black community and the black leaders and uh, the whole civil rights movement and how this is now turning out to be something uh, sort of for the deep state, if you want to say that, uh, to fulfill uh, their agenda. So they've piggyback on this uh, this unfortunate incident with uh, George Floyd, and now they're actually uh, you know, using that to fuel whatever political agenda that they have. And I saw you comment on that, and I just want you to elaborate on that whole protest uh, movement that's going on right now. Look, to me, the whole question about racism has never been discussed deeply. I grew up, and to me, this is very personal on many levels, because I grew up in an India which had the caste system, which is basically racism, okay? You had the hierarchy. We were considered untouchables. We were, we were kept in a little box. You came from this family who should just do this job for the rest of your life, okay? And it had economic basis to it. You have to understand that racism has an economic basis. You tell all the poor whites they're poor, they're rednecks, they're Ku Klux Klansmen, you lower their cost of labor, okay? That's what it's about. You tell women they're less than men, you keep their labor costs low, okay? So, th so if you take a factory room of a thousand people, let's say fifty are men, fifty are women, okay? And uh, I mean, I, I mean, uh, five hundred are women, five hundred are men, and five hundred are black and five hundred white. You pay the blacks a little bit less than the whites. 
you pay the women a little bit less than the men and they're all squabbling among each other, okay? So we gotta step back and stop being stupid. People need to understand racism and this kind of divisions is sown to keep us fighting from the real fact of what's actually going on that you have a set of people, the lawyers and the lobbyists who don't produce anything, they're parasites. Look at the stock market in the midst of all this protest, it's going up, it doesn't make any sense. It's a fake economy. So you have the real economy of people busting their butts and actually creating stuff, you know, actually working hard, trying to innovate small businesses, being creative, right? And then you have this other economy, which is running on nothing. It's running on, a, it's a fake economy. So we have to understand that when you look at the concept of keeping people in little boxes, that's what the caste system did and said, you could not do this. I experienced that being given water. People talk about segregation. I experienced as a child being given water in a different bowl because I was not of this caste, okay? So when I came to the United States in 1970, I heard about, wow. I said, I remember that happening to me when I was in India, okay? So what was this? And, and in India, by the way, the caste system, you had all these people trying to help the lower caste, but they were all sellouts. They basically take advantage of oppression. They never go at the problem. And that's what occurred in 1960 in this country. People are starting to come up bottoms up. And by the way, poor whites too, poor whites and poor blacks. They're coming bottoms up and they said, this is not right. And there was a true movement building bottoms up. Well, in response to that, people like the Kennedys went and found this guy, Martin Luther King, because they wanted to control the movement. They organized the March on Washington. Beautiful speech, I have a dream, blah, 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 okay? But what did they deliver? They said, don't use the N-word. And they threw something like affirmative action, which basically pitted blacks against whites. What was really needed was infrastructure. Infrastructure in the inner cities, and you still don't have it. In fact, Massachusetts has an F minus minus in infrastructure. And in fact, if you look at the per capita income, blacks and Hispanics, make very low income and whites over the last 20 years, their incomes are actually coming down cut in half. They wanna put everyone on a plantation and a reservation. Okay, all of us, okay? And they wanna boost up a fake economy, destroy real economies and have everyone pigeonholed. But the bottom line is this, the civil rights movement of the 1960s was taken over by the not so obvious establishment, the Kennedy type people who push people like, you know, against people like me, the people we talked about, elevated them and they squashed the real foundations of those movements, which was to deliver infrastructure. Instead, what they did was they did things that sounded good. Oh, don't use the N word. Okay, you're now not a racist. Don't, you know, give affirmative action. Meanwhile, so you created some Obamas and you created some Oprah Winfrey's and you created, a right? That strata of people. And those strata of people, frankly, perpetuated the issue because they made some money. Look at what Obama did in 2008. He gave the banks the biggest bailouts. Meanwhile, where he came from, Chicago, I think it has one of the highest crime rates. You know, black on black violence. He didn't do anything for his people. If anything, he helped the big bankers, black and white, you know? That's what he did. And now he's talking about, quote unquote, systemic racism, police reform. When he was in power, what did he do? What were his actions? He bailed out the big banks. That's what he did. That's what he should talk about. 
So what these guys do is they're no different than the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? They talk a big game, but they never do what is necessary for their own people. And this happens also among black and white politicians, right? The white politicians will go to some poor neighborhood and the white people say, those people are this, and, and the black politicians do the same. They use race for their advancement. That's racism. When Elizabeth Warren, you know, when these politicians say, oh, I, when, when Joe Kennedy here goes, takes pictures with homeless black people so he can have nice Facebook pictures, that's racism. So we, to me, racism is using race for your political or your economic advancement or using it to separate people. In India, one politician will go to a Hindu neighborhood and say stuff against the Christians or go to a Christian neighborhood and say, you see, that's what these guys do. They separate people. They don't care to solve racism. They don't care about any of these people. So in my view, what's going on, you know, is what, we, what you're actually seeing is the reason these protests are taking place, first there's confusion and the problems have not been solved. The fundamental issue has not been solved. And that fundamental issue is infrastructure, infrastructure, infrastructure. You need to give so, people infrastructure. So let me just ask you quickly. Do you think that the uh, protest, the Black Lives Matter protest that's uh, ongoing right now is going to, well, this one is actually going to create change? No. Let me tell you why. Okay. The Black Lives Matters protest, what the, what's historically happened is the Democratic Party has their wing to rile people up to, to essentially to support Democratic candidates. And just like the Republican Party promotes other things to support Republican candidates, they have the establishment version and they have their wings, okay, that rile up people. Black Lives Matter, I went to one of the protests, I, I, I was taking a bus, my bus, and we, we got stopped, so I got out and I went to it. I walked there and the first thing that they're chanting is F-U-C-K Trump. Okay, so it's clearly a bunch of Democratic Party people who are there. So they're using this for political agenda and that's why they will never get at the real issue of racism. The real issue of racism fundamentally is putting people in boxes and ensuring that people do not get out of those boxes for economic interests. You look at the conditions of black people today, it's worse than it was before civil rights. If you look at the economic numbers, it really is. But you've created a couple of Obamas, a couple of Oprah Winfrey's, a couple of those people. And then they, you know, they are sitting there talking about how they want to reform things, right? When what, what they, they, actually, they actually thrive on the fact that there's racism. They can talk about it, talk about it, talk about it you know, build their little foundations and talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. But they fundamentally, what, what did Obama do as senator in Chicago? What did he do as president for his own people? Tell me, tell me one thing he did. Can, uh, can you tell great. me one thing Obama did for his own people? Um, that's going to be a very difficult question to answer, uh, to be honest. I've, I've heard the conversation along uh, those lines and uh, a lot of the things that he's really done um, it's get towards the big corporations for sure and um, we know that uh, particularly in 2008 
uh, when he came in, one of the first things he did was to give uh, the, bail, the huge bailout um, and uh, also give back to some of the, the uh, what, what do you call them, the, the, the factories and, and, and that sort of thing, particularly in Detroit and, and those areas. So places, you know, black, black folks in high places are going to solve something, just like having women in high places. It's not how it works. Because once, if, if it's all about getting into a high place, um, it's not the model that's worked. What, what we need to do is truly create a bottoms up movement. That's what we need. As, as Deborah says, we need, a, we need a bottoms up movement. Like what we're doing here, our movement for truth, freedom and health has taken off because it's all bottoms up. We don't give a damn about the mainstream media. We're not even expecting anything from them, Elijah. It's bottoms up. And bottoms up meaning you have to work hard. These people are all top down. You get the Hollywood people. Hollywood people are giving bailouts, bailout. I mean, it's like, it's all a shtick for them. They, you know, Hollywood makes all these movies, which are the ones that perpetuate racism. They have pictures of, you know, uh, rednecks and, you know, they must be clans people and Chinese people only do Kung Fu, right? And Indians run 7-Elevens, right? They perpetuate it. They make money off of it. They joke about it, the comedians. So these people are all hypocrites. So I find it all nonsense because if you truly want to solve racism, okay, we need to go down to the root of it. And the root of it is putting people in boxes and the economic conditions. We have to look at the economics and the economics will show that uh, what's fundamentally occurring is we're destroying infrastructure in, in the United States has a D plus infrastructure in the Western world. The United States has the highest infant mortality rate in the Western world, the lowest longevity rate. So Massachusetts, you know what the average net worth of a black person is in Massachusetts? Eight dollars, eight dollars. I'm sorry, in Boston, in Boston, the average net worth is eight dollars. That's where John Kerry lives, all the Democrat elite. You know what their average net worth is? Quarter of a million dollars. 30, not 30, 3,000 times more. I'm sorry, 30,000 times more. So what are the Kennedys talking about? What are, this is the center of the Democratic liberal elite. In fact, a lot of them are, are the, 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 many of these towns are run by blacks. So you have a $30,000, 30,000x difference. These people are the racists. I mean, Malcolm X, he talked about it. He said the liberals are the real, real foxes. They are the most dangerous ones. You know, Malcolm X got this right. That's why they suppressed him and they elevated Martin Luther King because Martin Luther King was acceptable to the liberal elites like the Kennedys. They pushed him on people. They made him their hero, not the bottoms up people like Malcolm. And that's what needs to be understood. And that's what they will try to do with me because I come bottoms up. Right? So, so, so I, I need to ask you one, one, uh, two more questions, if I, if I may, because the, the conversation is very interesting uh, right now. Um, I want to go back to the vaccines, and I forgot to ask you. You did mention uh, about Bill Gates and uh, his connection with uh, Kennedy and, and, and that sort of thing. Hillary Clinton. Um, Hillary Clinton. Uh, yes, uh, his connection with Hillary Clinton. But 
I, I want to ask you, because he's out again. Uh, in 2015, it was uh, during his TED Talk, he had uh, predicted that there would have been this quote-unquote coronavirus uh, pandemic. Um, not specifically the coronavirus, but a pandemic. Uh, he's still talking about the worst is yet to come. Uh, what is your take on that? Uh, given his, his uh, background in uh, you know technology and that sort of thing, computers and, and whatnot, and now he's sort of this you know, unofficial speaker for vaccines and for the health sector and that sort of thing. So w what is your, your response or your, your feedback on, on, on that? Well, a couple of things. First of all, Bill Gates has no training in biology, no training in medicine, no training in the immune system, no training in biological engineering. Okay. So the question is, why is a guy like this getting so much play? When I spent 33 years in and out of MIT studying this, my PhD is in the field, I publish papers in the field. Why does he get so much play? I would say he's a racist. I would say the media that gives him coverage is a racist, right? Why don't they put me on there? Why is a guy like that with this foundation going over to Africa and going over to India and using those people there for clinical trials. That's a racist. Where are the protesters protesting him? Where is Obama talking about vaccine testing reform or drug testing reform? Silence, right? When people like him are the big racists, people like Bill Gates, People like Hillary Clinton are the big racists. Her mentor was Robert Byrd. Hillary Clinton and no one ever, I mean, I, there was a big free speech protest in Boston. I called out all the racist things she's done and they called me a white supremacist for doing that. Unbelievable. Okay? So people need to get their head out of wherever it is, particularly minorities. They need to break from left and right and start recognizing what is real racism. Otherwise, so, so, this is gonna go sorry. on. Yeah. Sorry, and, if I may interject. So what exactly do you think might be, um, obviously you just mentioned that he has no degree and obviously well, you, you would be more qualified. I'll tell yeah, you. Would be, yeah, so you would be more. Gates, Bill Gates knows software and I know software also in addition to, um, you know, I created the first email system in the world. I've been doing software development since I was a 14 year old kid. When you release software, you do it in a three phase process. Phase one is called the alpha release, where we release it. You know, you test out your product with a small set of people. Then you do a beta release where you release it to more people. And then you do the final gold release. Okay. So the event 201 that they did, remember that thing in New York? That was the alpha release, small test. This is the beta release. Then there will be the gold release, which will be hyping it up more. It's gonna happen in about three to six months. Just watch, watch what, what's gonna happen. Gates knows that, the, that Gates won the computer game by controlling the operating system, by owning DOS, and he didn't even write it. Everyone should find out that he's a fraud. He didn't, he actually, there was DOS was written, okay? So he understands operating systems. What Bill Gates wants to do is to own your operating system, which is the immune system. And what he wants to do is, so they're understanding how to 
own that immune system. So people give up all, they give up their immune system to Gates and Hillary Clinton. You got to always say Gates and Hillary Clinton, by the way. You got to always say Gates and Hillary Clinton, Gates and Hillary Clinton. You know why? Because that'll re- lead to Robert Kennedy and expose him, the not so obvious establishment. Let's not just say Gates, Gates and Hillary Clinton. Okay. I really, everyone needs to understand that they're in it together. Okay. So the Gates Hillary Clinton consortium through Gavi is all about owning your immune system, which is your operating system. The software of your body, one of the most important software is your operating system. So they did the thing in New York, which is like this gaming example. Now they've tested, this is a second release of the operating system, the beta release, and then they're gonna go gold. That's what this is gonna go. Exactly, Norma. Gates and Hillary Clinton always needs to be set together. If you don't say that, you're giving a nice big get out of jail free card to Robert Kennedy, okay? Because he's part of the not so obvious establishment. That's what's going on. So my view is this is a release process and the goal is the operating system will be owned by different pharma companies for different diseases. So if you think about the, you know, the uh, iPhone operating system, right? You have the operating system and you have different apps running on it, okay? The different apps are the different vaccine companies for different vaccines, hepatitis B, that's an app, right? Uh, whatever, right, COVID, et cetera. And what they've done is they're putting, they wanna own the operating system and then they're gonna give different vaccine manufacturers monopolies on one of those diseases. Sanofi will have something, Merck will have, et cetera. That's what's being engineered. And the market is not just 100,000 people you know, for pancreatic cancer, it's 7.2 billion people. That's what we're looking at. Everyone using their operating system. That's what Gates is up to. So, so in, in essence, it's really about uh, it's really about money. It's uh, it's, it's, it's it, it, it boils down it boils down to money. Yeah. Look, a friend of mine went to school with Bill Gates's wife, and apparently, I mean, people should verify this. She said to him, I'm not going to marry anyone unless they have $50 million in assets, minimum. So people need to understand that these people care about three things, power, profit, and control. Power, profit, and control. The academics care about control. The Wall Street guys care about profit. People like Bill Gates care about power, okay? That's the military-industrial academic complex. Power, profit, and control. And their legacy, okay? Quickly, um, I, I, I saw one of your videos uh, maybe about a month, uh, maybe six weeks ago or so, uh, where you made a statement regarding uh, 5G. Now, I realize that the whole 5G talk has died down, and uh, for some reason it has a lot to do with the censorship on uh, social media. Um, what is what is your view about the whole 5G advancement, um, you know, issue? Well, here's my view. Okay, I did it. There's a video I did on it. Um, look, I just look. I my I have two of my other degrees. My PhD is in biological engineering, but I've studied what's called wave propagation from my master's work, understanding how waves move through materials, all different kinds of waves: ultrasonic waves, electromagnetic waves, etc. Um, so we're talking about waves. Okay. Now you get the sun's wave, 
ultraviolet, that's fine for you, right? In fact, it's healthy. Um, different things emit different waves. Um, one of the ways that affects our body for my study, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to hype up stuff that I don't know. By the way, remember I told you there are people who create foundations. They like breast cancer, not to solve it, but so I'm not going to get into that because that leads you down a path of nonsense. Okay. What I can tell you is that behind, you know, we have a structure in the body called the pineal gland, which we know now controls the circadian rhythms of our body. And that pineal gland um, is extremely important to controlling all sorts of biomolecular functions. And it is influenced by piezoelectric effects. And many, many years ago I studied, in my view, all this radiation around us, right? All of this. We don't fully understand the effects of that on the pineal gland, okay? And how that affects this fully. And I think what, if I, you know, one of the things I want to do as Senator is to uh, create a whole uh, research program to study electromagnetic waves. That's what needs to be done. Because look, x-rays, when x-rays came out, people didn't know we needed shielding. We were just doing x-rays and then people started getting cancer, right? Then we use that technology in a, in a powerful way. We use x-rays, we do shielding, and we discover diseases, et cetera. So it's not the technology is bad or good, it's understanding how it works, what the science is, and actually trying to configure it properly. But when money is involved in this, and it's not bottoms up, a lot of shortcuts get taken. So that's what I can tell you definitively. Um, and I think we need to do quite a bit of research uh, onto the effects of electromagnetic radiation on the pineal gland, because I think that'll re reveal a lot of what's actually going on. But I'll uh, tell you that let, let's that talk about you. That the thing, sorry, separate from the biology piece, is extremely, extremely, extremely important for the deep state to observe all of us and control of us. It's because it's going to be the foundation of the Internet of Things. Your refrigerator will be communicating to Amazon. Your dishwasher will be communicating to your sink. You know that kind of stuff. And everything will be interconnected. And so it, it, yeah, it's it, so it's basically um, being five well, G is being developed. And, and look, I, I just uh, heard that uh, uh, China started development of six G. So um, this whole five G, six G is really about uh, the development of smart cities, uh, like you rightly said. Uh, last question as we close off. I think I've had you for an hour and a half. Um, let's talk about you for a second. Um, it's a two-part question. So the first question deals with the fact that uh, Wikipedia and other mainstream media have been discrediting a lot of your claims over the last couple of weeks. Um, what, what would you have to say uh, to them in response to the claims on Wikipedia and mainstream media uh, calling you a conspiracy theorist uh, on a lot of those issues? Well, the thing is, you know, we may have to sue Wikipedia because they've locked the page. Uh, I may have to, you know, I won a major lawsuit against uh, uh, Gizmodo, who said I didn't invent email. We won a million dollar lawsuit. These people do not want people like me, bottoms up, who work very hard, and they're very, very afraid of people like me because I got all their degrees. I have all the awards that I've won. And to say stuff like that, and most of this is done, again, by a bunch of racist guys. They're racist. They're the real racists. We should, there should be massive protests 
in the streets against denying the fact that a dark-skinned guy who came from Newark, New Jersey, invented the first email system. I don't see those protests. Where are they? Because that denial denies not only black people, but any people that innovation can occur anytime, any place by anybody. That means a poor white kid in you know, some poor white Southern town could not invent email, right? It can only be done by people who go to MIT and look like a nerd, talk like a nerd, right? Those are the only people who are innovative. That's the racism I'm talking about. That's against human, the human race. Because if you really look at innovation, innovation is the essential aspect of being human. We are all supposed to take our dreams and innovate. What they don't like is that I'm not being a good Indian. That's what I mean, the racism. Indians will say, oh yeah, okay, fine. Okay, very good, I, I didn't invent email, bye-bye, right? I'm not doing that. That's what bothers them. What bothers them is I'm not willing to be a Gandhi, sit in the lotus position and meditate and walk away. No, I invented email. I called it email. I wrote all the code and I did it. How dare that guy do that? That's why I'm telling you Wikipedia is one of the biggest racists. They are the racists calling me a conspiracy theorist. I'm sorry. I've written in the biggest peer reviewed journals in the world. I get invited to speak at the major conferences. So I may have to take that organization down and no one listening should give them one penny because they've locked my page. Anytime we try to add the facts, you can't add it. That's how afraid they are. Wikipedia, um, last, yeah, Wikipedia should be discredited. Yeah. Disgusting bunch of actually, run it. Yeah, actually Wikipedia is not uh, supposed to be taken as a credible source for information because you have all these individuals, uh, whether they are actually from the source itself, uh, editing stuff and whatnot. So you know, put a lot. It's Elijah is based on citations. I could create a blog paper somewhere saying Elijah kicks his dog. Then I could go on Wikipedia and say, Elijah is one of the biggest dog kickers in the world and cite that. Okay. But I'm saying Wikipedia needs to be taken down. Just for that fact that they call me a conspiracy theorist and my, my, I've been in Time Magazine for the invention of email. You know, I've been in many other things. The facts are obvious. What, they are the biggest racists. We should be having massive protests against Wikipedia. Maybe I, I'll probably organize something. Great, great. Last question yeah. for me for this evening would be about you. Um, you know, best case scenario, you win your seat. Uh, in the Senate, uh, what are some of the first things that you're actually going to be doing? And uh, do you think you're going to get a lot of pushback uh, going uh, forward through your, your Senate tenure? Well, look, first of all, what, what is my campaign about? If I think I'm going to go into the U.S. Senate and one voice do it, no. But let me tell you what, 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 what our victory will mean. Remember I used the word deep state? Massachusetts is the center of the deep state for the world. Imagine this, a kid who grew up in Newark, New Jersey, working class kid, got four degrees from MIT, started seven companies, made his money on his own. That's a real American winning in one of the most corrupt states in the United States. Massachusetts rated as a 10th most corrupt state, the worst, third most worst infrastructure. Shouldn't people like me be elected? I mean, am I not the epitome of what it means to be a, a great American? 
So my winning here will be like a nuclear bomb went off for the deep state. That's what it'll mean. And that's why our victory is so important. Not only, it's not about a Senate campaign, it's about what that symbolizes. So that winning, winning the Senate seat here is gonna be like a nuke went off. The next six years are gonna be a lot of fun because I'm gonna use those six years to use that Senate position to create a movement. I wanna create 100,000 other young people I'm only gonna serve one term, just one term, not two terms, one term, because that's a lot of time. If you can't get stuff done in six years, I mean, people, I build whole companies in six years. People pat, you know, do major research. These idiots are in there for 40 years. One of the guys I'm running against, Ed Malarkey, 47 years. Joe Kennedy, already six years. What have they done? Zero. So the goal is in six years to spend a thousand percent of my time on things that help people. Number one, Digital Rights Act. Make sure that the United States Postal Service, I have a whole plan, actually provides a platform equivalent to email, YouTube, Facebook, protected by the laws of the United States. No one can interfere. That's what the Postal Service was supposed to do. They weren't supposed to be just a platform for physical communications, all communications. Number two, Citizen Science Act. We need to make sure that all, when we fund academic institutions, that data is your data, it's my data. I should be able to find out where is all this climate change satellite data? I wanna see it. I should have the rights to actually look at the original data. Show me where all the vaccine data is, the safety data. I should be able to analyze it. We've got a lot of smart people in the world, citizen science. And the third is we need to remove all the middlemen out of the healthcare system and decentralize healthcare back to the local practitioners. Lower the cost of healthcare, it's a real plan. I can eliminate overnight about a half a trillion dollars. Those are the three things, minimum, that will get done. But they've never seen any, anyone like me in a long time. Probably the last time was someone like Franklin, probably a guy like Jefferson or a guy like Washington, okay? Because those guys actually studied science, fixed things, new things. 60%, 70% of, of, of the Senate and the Congress is lawyers. Lawyers know nothing except to create problems. It's the only profession in the world that makes money regardless of if it fixes a problem or not. Every other profession, you gotta solve the problem. You don't get paid. They get a paycheck by perpetuating a divorce, by prolonging a lawsuit, by prolonging things. They make money. They make money whether you win yeah. or not. Yeah, but, but we've seen a lot of uh, situations where politicians, uh, uh, well, I didn't even ask you whether you're a politician or not, but uh, we've seen a lot of situations where politicians come up and they're saying they're going to be different and they're going to do things differently. And uh, when you get into, the, uh, into, the, uh, into office, um, they either join with the gang and uh, you don't see much in terms of what, what it is that they're going to be doing. So... Um, what what do your your what do the voters see in you that could actually tell them well hey you know he's actually going to be different and he's actually going to be uh, he's going to stand out and he's going to be a, a stand up guy going into there whether it's a well, one term or two terms. The first thing is I don't need to be doing this. Okay, I already made money. I have other work to do. Okay, I have my company Cytosol, my company System Self. I don't need to do this. Okay, these guys don't have a job. Go ask, the first question people should ask is, what job do you have? What have you been given to lose? Most of these lawyers, they run in elections to lose. Someone else gives them a judgeship. 
okay? So if anything, I have everything to lose by doing this stuff, okay? It's a huge sacrifice. So number two, I'm only gonna serve one term. So these guys are in there to get elected and reelected. And I'll put that in writing, put money behind it, whatever, you know? I'll say, look, I'll give you my $10 million building in Cambridge if I serve more than one term. The goal here is to serve one term, in and out, done. Because the goal is when you have a deadline, anyone who knows in life, when you have a deadline, you get stuff done. I mean, I remember doing a writing project. If I give myself six months, I take six months. If I give myself one day, I'll get it done in one day. Okay? That's how life is. So if you give yourself 47 years like some of these guys have been, they've done nothing. Six years is a long enough time. One term, done. So that's one thing. Number two, people can go look at what I've done, what I've accomplished, actually built jobs I've created. This is not like, oh, when I get into office, I'm going to create jobs. No, I've already done that. Remember when I showed you my campaign here, when I shared this with you, the reason that this is important, Elijah, is what we're doing is when people give to my campaign and they go here, I'm giving them something, okay? Not later, now. This book will teach them how the body is a system. This tool, I mean, this is worth a lot more than this. And if people can't afford it, you see what we say here? Donate if you have economic distress. It's not about selling a book or, or giving people a tool. It's about educating people. That's different. No politician will do just that, okay? They always want something. They want everything for nothing. So people should just look at uh, action. Yeah, and uh, well, I know this is going to be the last, last question. Uh, we've seen in, in, in history where individuals who actually go up against, uh, you know, the establishment, quote unquote, or deep state, have either you know been washed out or they have been assassinated. Uh, a case in point, you have uh, Andrew Jackson who uh, went up against you know the banking cartels, and uh, it, it didn't turn out too good for him. Uh, you have uh, Harold Washington, and you have so many other individuals, even scientists like yourself, who have uh, uh, presented and uh, tried to expose. Uh, what's really happening uh, behind closed doors and stuff, and they've 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 not really lived on to see uh, the result of of their their sacrifice. Um, don't you think uh, that this might end up being your circumstance? Well, I don't know about that. You know, uh, it's an interesting question. It's sort of a question that uh, I don't really know what it means. You know, that's like saying you know, life uh, anything can happen to anyone. It, I, I do believe you go back to your spiritual teachings and a very different view of life. So I think you seem to put a lot of emphasis on thinking that this is the only world that we live in, you know, that this is it. And, uh, you know, as someone who believes in something beyond this, the issue is what is the purpose of life? And everyone has to ask that question at some point, or maybe people never ask that question. I had the opportunity to ask that question when I was around four years old. You know, and again, when I was 12 and I made certain decisions, what life means and life means you're not supposed to be a slave, period. And if you're a slave, you might as well not live life. I mean, life is not that interesting, right? If you can't do what you're supposed to do. So I think you have to live life boldly. I think one of the most important things that people forget is a word called courage. Courage is something you cannot, no AI system can predict it. No mathematical model can predict it. No data system can predict it. 
there's no mathematical equation for courage. It is one of those things that's a confounding variable. So the purpose of our campaign is truth, freedom, and health. And what we mean by that is the center of that is courage. It means people should have courage. People should have courage to actually take a systems approach and understand, you know, let me share with you something. I haven't shared this with a lot of people, but this is up on our website. If you go to my website and you go from 2017 back, you will see that I have a history of fighting all the way going back. Let me go. Can you see this? Are you able to see this? I, I could see it. Yeah. So look, so this has been a lifetime. This is not suddenly I decided to fight for things. This is, you see where I'm going back to? 19- Yeah, way, way back. So this is when I was, uh, I was involved in student activism. Here's me challenging as an 18 year old kid, the president of MIT, when MIT had investments in South Africa, okay? Here's me fighting for more women to come to MIT. Here's me burning the South African flag on the steps of MIT. Here's me organizing the food service workers, okay? So it wasn't just something fighting for workers in South Africa. I organized a black and white food service worker so they could get a better wage. This is when I protested when the genocidal leader from uh, Sri Lanka came, okay? On and on and on. And that's me at my PhD graduation. That's who I am. This is not something that's a fad to me or something interesting that the Kennedys do so they can get votes, okay? This is my life. This is not about something interesting to run for Senate, Elijah. All right. So it's not a joke for me. This is something that's part of me because I know where I came from. I came from working class people in New Jersey who had nothing. And I came from people in India who had nothing. And that's who my people are. I hope you understand that. Uh, I do. I do. And uh, I, I agree with you that uh, we, we should live for a purpose and uh, this life is really supposed to be the life that we're supposed to settle into. Um, I'm a believer in Christ and obviously um, I believe in the afterlife like you. And, uh, you know, while we're here on this... Time to start living the lessons of Christ. You know, I think if people go to church a lot, that's all great, but maybe people should live the truth here and now in their actions. And if more Christians did that, this this world would change pretty fast. Amen. I mean, but a lot of Christians just talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. Very, very much so. And I couldn't agree more with that that last statement of yours. Um, I, I believe that we have a lot of Christians all over the world, uh, a lot in St. Lucia is actually predominantly a Christian, a Christian nation. Um, so, um, you know, Christianity is sort of dormant uh, right now in the sense that uh, uh, individuals do not practice what they preach or practice what they read in the Bible. They don't practice, you know, a, a typical example, case in point, right? You have the Black Lives Matter protests going on right now. Um, and Christians are basically saying that they shouldn't be going out to, well, some Christians are saying that you shouldn't be participating in going out to protest and stuff. Whereas the Bible in Isaiah talks about the fact that you're supposed to uh, defend, you know, the, 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 the widows and defend the, you know, fight for justice and that sort of thing and, 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 and whatnot. So it's the same Bible telling you what to do, which is what's happening. Right? I'm not talking about the riots. I'm not talking about, you know, the, the criminal uh, aspect of, of the pro uh, protest that's going on. I'm actually talking about making a statement, going out and make a statement. And Christians think that if you do that, you're not really a Christian. And I, I am 
are really against that, that sort of thing uh, because this is not what Christianity is about. Christianity is really about uh, standing up for the truth no matter what it costs you. Uh, that's what it is and that's what Jesus did. He stood up for the truth and it cost him his life. So um, if we're supposed to be disciples of Christ, we're supposed to be able to stand up uh, no matter what the cost is going to be for, for uh, the individual standing up. So Yeah, and I think the, sub t the, the other important part to that is you, you don't want to throw away your life. You want to do it in such a way that it has meaning. And that meaning can come with a scientific systems understanding. Politics can also be under, there's physics to politics. So when you look at these political movements, in those protests, there are different trends. There are the terrorists who just want to cause havoc, which helps those in power. There is a not so obvious establishment like the Kennedys and the Obamas and the Clintons who will also be supporting those protests, not for really ever solving racism or any of these issues, but for supporting some political party. And then there are the real people who actually want to get, understand what the real issues are and solve the problem. And that problem, in my view, if you take racism, is only going to be solved when you provide infrastructure, bottoms up infrastructure. And Obama didn't do that. The Clintons didn't do that. You know, Martin Luther King didn't do that. I'm sorry, he didn't, okay? He was probably used by the Kennedys, et cetera, okay? But the fundamental issue is the inner cities in this country do not have infrastructure for poor blacks and whites. And until that infrastructure is provided, I'm talking about clean air, clean water, clean food. This is gonna keep occurring over and over and over again. And yeah, protests make you feel good. I've done a lot of protesting in my life, but the protest without a clear goal, right now what you have is, a bunch of Hollywood people are in, involved in this because they have their guilt. You have the Democratic Party involved in this because they want to see Biden get elected. Then you have people who are the terrorists involved in this who basically want to just terrorize and have their own power. But no one is talking about fundamental aspect of infrastructure. No one's talking about that. Right. No one is talking about the fact that if you want a solution, you know, the Constitution of the United States never wanted standing armies. We were never supposed to, in fact, have a standing police force. All of us were supposed to be armed. If you want to talk about one solution which goes beyond left and right, every citizen is supposed to get weapons training. All of us are supposed to be armed and all of us should be participating in the local police. But the left says, oh, no, 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 I don't want to give weapons out. Right. And the right may not want to devolve power to people, but the ultimate is supposed to be, we're all supposed to be armed. And if you have a, a, a you know, a, a town of a thousand people, maybe every weekend, 20 of us are supposed to be in the local police force and rotate. That is a true democracy, popular militias, popular police force. That's what I would think should be done. That's how you really solve this. All of us should be armed, all of us. All of us should be trained. All of us should be in military service. So it's not a standing army. So if you have, you know your child is in the military, whether it be in this country, I think people are gonna be careful to go start wars. So there is a solution to this, popular militias.
Great. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Shiva, for the time. Uh, it was well spent. I enjoyed the conversation and uh, the insight into your thinking is, is, is great. I mean, um, you answered a lot of the questions here. Um, I mean, I, I would have liked to go deeper into a couple of things, but maybe in the future we could do this again or whatnot. Yeah, we can do it again. Let's, I mean, and that, I mean, I think of this as an introduction. We can do it again. But uh, I think in closing, I just want to say, you know, when I talk about our Senate campaign, I hope it's clear to you, it's not a Senate campaign. This is about tr really truth, freedom, and health. It's, and we have about 70 days till the primary, uh, September 1, and we have to win that. We have to win it. This is not just for me, but it's for you and everyone. And, and so that's, everyone should go to the campaign, support it. And those of you who are outside of the United States, you know, as, as I shared, one of our goals, Elijah, is to teach people how systems work. That's what this will do. And then if people are outside of the United States, they can literally go to your body, your system, if they want to get the same access because you can't be outside of the United States. So you can understand how your body is a system. And you're basically, this is not just to teach you how food and these things work, but it's fundamentally to teach you that your body is a system. It has inputs. It can go off. You can use those same principles to understand any system. So anyway, thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, enjoy. Let me uh, just pray for you before I leave, uh, if you don't mind. Yes, go ahead. Yes. So, uh, gracious Father, we want to thank you so much for this uh, opportunity where we've had this uh, discussion. Father God, we, I ask that you will continue to bless and keep Dr. Shiva safe and that you will continue to allow him, Father, to continue to speak truth, continue to stand for truth, and continue to shine truth throughout his medium, throughout this platform, throughout wherever he goes. And Father, I pray that you may lead him in every single decision that he's making, and that you will continue to keep him safe from all harm, I ask in Jesus' most precious name. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Very beautiful. Amen. Thank you, Elijah. Okay. Good night. Take care and uh, enjoy the rest of the evening. Goodbye. Okay, thank you, everyone out there. Bye bye. Thank you.